Welcome to this seasonal review of the delivery profits brought to you by the delivery.world together with Avico. I'm Peter Backman, and today John Bortichiello and I will talk about delivery and what our guests have had to say about it over the past year. So, Peter, you say over the last year we were doing the review, and it's Christmas. I look out here at Brewdog Waterloo, there's a huge Christmas tree, red baubles hanging. I walk down Regent Street and we've got the um, angels flying. Do you like Christmas? It's a time for catching up as far as I'm concerned. Um, Seeing some of the family, not all of them, I guess chilling out. That's what it's all about for me. Definitely. It's a it's nice time of year to spend with the family, with friends. Having some fantastic food is always one that's high on the list for me. Yeah, well, wait till you have your Christmas turkey delivered. Well, you, you say that, but there are now restaurants doing this, aren't there? So you can pick up your ready-done Christmas dinner, the warm-up. But I'm sure we'll talk about when Jamie Barber came on. They, they must be doing some sort of meal kit for Christmas as well. They, they, are, they definitely are, I can assure you. So we're talking about... Christmas, but we've actually had a year of the delivery profits, which is really exciting. Um, I think we started off from scratch, not knowing where we were going, and we've come quite far. It's been good, hasn't it? It's been a challenge to start with. We, Like you say, we came into this room and didn't know what we were doing, and we had a chat about some delivery. We've had some amazing guests on. I think, is it nine in total now that we've done? So far, and we've got a couple more in the can, so they'll be coming live early next year. And we've we've got um, hundreds of regular listeners as well, which is really um, encouraging. And I noticed that we are in the top 10 restaurant podcasts globally, which is uh, really good from um, recording out of Waterloo. So the plan is for next year then to make our way up the top 10 so we get higher and higher. Absolutely. We'll be challenging um, for the number one slot. It'll be good, wouldn't it? You know, we, we've said the guests that we've had this year have been fantastic, but to get more guests on, to give different views on delivery is what we started this for. And I, I guess we've spoke about this many times. One of these aggregators one day is going to call you, Mr. Batman, and say, Peter, I want to come on your show from an aggregator point of view. I, I absolutely agree with you, John. Um, we're trying to represent a whole diverse set of views But what we're really trying to do is is to understand what's happening in delivery to help our listeners get to grips with the issues that they're all grappling with. And we hear this from many, many different angles and really to help them understand what's going on and why and what they can do about it. No, definitely. It's uh, from all the guests we've had on, there was one common theme, wasn't there? How can delivery be improved? How can delivery be bettered? And has delivery got the attention it needs within businesses by both operators but also providers? Yeah, there are uh, themes about service, as you've said, but there are also themes about profitability. And we've, a couple of times, and we'll probably get onto this later on, a couple of times we've talked about issues around social responsibility as well because we live in a very complex world nowadays and you have to pay attention to all sorts of things not only your investors not only your employees but doing good for the world so we'll probably come on to that I was going to say that was great when Neil came on actually and the big piece he was doing so so let's go then Peter shall we what shall we talk about today without a guest well it seems to me that a fundamental question is why should anybody want to do delivery 
you know, what's the point? Our guest, Tim Vasilakis, had something to say about this when he came in um, a few months ago. Perhaps uh, a space where customers could interact um, physically, um, do a collection, a click and collect, um, and also potentially maybe a market hall concept, a bit like a box pack, but branded after those companies, maybe like a Deliveroo hall, where um, you can do delivery as normal, but you can also go and walk up and collect um, your food from there. <clears throat> so I think that's what's going to be interesting in the future to see where things are heading because I feel like, you know, we've established delivery now as a service. It's definitely something that people want. Um, we, we, we're in the post-pandemic world now. And, you know, my worry was um, in a post-pandemic world, where does delivery sit? But as as I can see the data now on the other side, delivery is here to stay. And, you know, it's just become part of our lives. It's been integrated so well into our lives that um, people really want it. People use it. It's it's no longer, we consider, maybe some of us consider it as a luxury, but seeing how people use it, I personally don't consider it a luxury anymore. I, I, I consider it a pretty basic um, commodity, especially in big cities like London, where people just don't have the time uh, for cooking or sometimes even going to the shop. Uh, so so you've, you've covered an awful lot of ground there. Um, so I, I think we, I don't know if we want to pick it apart, but to just delve into a little bit more detail. But um, two things that have struck me. One is you talked about licensing and franchising. So interestingly, Peter, Tim talks, doesn't he, about a post-COVID world. And this has come up a few times where, is it a market hall, a box part? Um, there's a new concept over at Battersea. Is there that place that's going to turn between a dark kitchen, cloud, one of the, uh, as you'd call it, and a physical property, and the world becomes one? That's a really interesting concept. Yes, but I think there is a... a um a deeper, more fundamental concept as to why anybody should want to do delivery. And and it seems to me that the, the point, another point that Tim made was that delivery is integrated into our lives. It's what we do. Uh, and that is a good enough reason for investing in delivery and trying to get it right. And I think one of the challenges for the whole if I can call it the industry of delivery, which is everything from aggregators to restaurant companies, even including customers and riders and so on, is actually making the whole thing work profitably to everybody's interest. It seems that one of the things that's come out generally is sort of tension between the various parties. But it is something that all parties have an interest in actually making work. It's been integrated into our lives. That's why I think people should be doing delivery or it's a, it's a motivator for doing delivery. Is it also, from the consumer side, why should anyone do delivery? Because consumers want delivery. Oh, I, absolutely, fundamentally. If, if consumers don't want delivery, then there is absolutely nothing here at all. And it, and it goes back, doesn't it, to we've spoke about when you used to order a Chinese or an Indian takeaway, you'd call them up on a Saturday evening, it'd be delivered now to an aggregator where you can get numerous brands delivered to your house. If you're a young couple that's having a family, you're living out of city, then you can still have your date night 
with your favourite meal. That that absolutely answers why should anyone do delivery? And of course, the brands do this because this is incremental revenue and brand building. Yes, I always take um, um, a bit of a negative um, view on this and you always take a positive view, which is great because on average we're going to be right. <laughs> uh, there are challenges. There are challenges about making money, making the process seamless, uh, making sure that everybody is happy. So fundamentally, yes, there is demand for delivery, and that's why we should do it. The next set of challenges then is, yes, but how can we do it and do it effectively? I guess then, so you, you say the challenges. What, what are the challenges for restaurants, meal producers with, with their branding? Let's look at that then. So why should anyone do delivery? But actually the challenges for the restaurant, the branding, it comes back to who owns that customer. Um, that and how do you actually reach the customer? I think our guest uh, Jamie Barber um, talked about this. Oh, Jamie, when he came in talking, um, he, he had hushed in to start with, then he set up with Mylene Glass, the, um, the delivery company for meal kits. But yeah, uh, My Supper Hero. That um, was the one. And it was nice. I can remember having that one before the week before he came. So it was well worth him coming along. <laughs> Great. I'm, I'm sure you'll appreciate that. And, I mean, he talked about uh, the power of the aggregator. Yeah, I mean, launching a digital brand from scratch or virtual brand from scratch is, um, I think, the challenges for, for something like My Supper Hero versus a traditional restaurant brand are actually the same but you're right in that a platform like a delivery or an uber eats they they act as a as a highly funded marketing platform and that is the place to go we've launched a digital brand from scratch um but that has been our entire focus a traditional restaurant has got other things to worry about than trying to launch and uh its digital presence for us that's you know, we, we, we spend money on performance marketing, we engage customers, we have our social media presence, and it's all gained, uh, it's all geared towards um, attracting customers, gaining customers. The, the best uh, way for us to gain customers is through word of mouth. So what, what, I, what I took from what Jamie said is that a real challenge is just talking to the customer in the first place. The aggregators do that. And in the common setup, the aggregator does it and the restaurant is not able to. So a challenge for uh, restaurants is how can they actually communicate with the customer? And, I, and that seems to be a fundamental issue within the whole of the delivery space, not only in this country, but, but in every country that you look at. I don't know that there is an answer or whether the answer has been found yet, but Communicating with the customer is absolutely crucial. It comes back to who owns the customer. Do the aggregators or do the brand? And it was interesting what Jamie said there because they have started it from scratch, but they have focused on this. They focused on My Superhero and they haven't had the, um, let, let's say, distraction that the day-to-day life of running a restaurant, a brand, a group of restaurants has because there's lots of pressures. Lots of our guests have said that they probably don't give delivery enough time. But how do you start a brand from fresh? The, the marketing that must go into that. And before we said about Jamie, and I've just had a quick Google while uh, we're listening to that clip, and they're doing, a, at my superhero, a Christmas kit, free-range turkey, 
serves four people. How, how do they get that message out there? How do they get it out there? Because it they are just a tiny little drop in an ocean. Well, yes, it's a good question. I don't suppose we have the the time to answer it properly, but the basic principles of marketing still apply. You work hard, you identify who you want to talk to, you work hard at finding the channels that are going to get to them, and you use them. Um, at the same time, uh, in the delivery space, you've got aggregators who are doing that job anyway. So you're competing with aggregators who are actually selling your product, and you're trying to do it yourself uh, in some instances, and that becomes an expensive operation, I guess. I think that's probably the real challenge. Definitely, definitely. And it, it still comes back to this customer piece. We, we can't ever um, come up with an answer because I don't think there is one. Like you say, is, th is there an answer to this? Is it around what are the touch points with the customer? Um, can the customer know what you'll remember? There was a guest that came on when they spoke about it's actually around the branding. That's how you communicate with your customer. And Dishoom do a great job of their branding. When you get a Dishoom um, delivered, you know that is from Dishoom, cooked by Dishoom, looked after by Dishoom, cared for like when you're in a restaurant. And that's how that is portrayed across. I that's owning a customer. Yeah, I don't know if you remember when Faraz Nagri um, spoke to us, he touched on this particular experience. I see a big difference between a restaurant where you go in and you sit down and you see everybody and you sit on the chair and you're comfortable and um, all of that, um, and then you're served food, compared with um, a different relationship when it's served to you at home. But there are other ways of, of creating that relationship um, that are not to do with sitting in a comfortable chair in a restaurant, but more to do with um, how you just... Um, perceive the brand, what other people might say about it, what the pictures say. So it's a different relationship from, from what went before. Would you think that that's um, reasonable? Yeah, if we're talking about the traditional virtual brand space, absolutely, that, that is a different relationship. There is also, we're seeing more and more hybrids. So, for example, some of the brands that we'd created initially launches as purely digital brands are now available in food markets or universities or in a in a restaurant in a in a hotel or room service so you can actually go there and sit down look at the menu and get experience of that brand but all kind of as a collaboration with another kind of space so i think that's another exciting way that the industry is evolving listening to faraz um it also struck me that he made a point that um Eki newton also made and that is that um, delivery gives you the opportunity to develop um, uh, omni-channel modes uh, more effectively because it is so different from the actual in-store experience. And as I say, Eki Newton, whom we um, interviewed in the early part of the year, told us about how that works in a ghost kitchen. You'll have these multiple touch points for brands now, and delivery is another touch point. Not, it doesn't detract from... It doesn't take away from the in-person experience. In fact, it adds to it. Like you were saying, um, you go to the restaurant, you recognise that restaurant, you've been there in person. Then you go home and you want to eat the same food and you can order that online. That's actually adding to the different touch points that that restaurant has within your life. Um, and I think that that's 
an incredibly powerful tool that restaurants can use to develop their brand outside of where they actually have opened. If you think about how expensive it is to open a restaurant, phenomenally expensive, probably costs in London maybe a million pounds, a couple million pounds in a prime location. That's a very expensive thing to do. To open a dark kitchen really just costs a few thousand pounds. So you can connect up with people who visited your restaurant. They want to eat your food again. Maybe they're in- engaging with a different suite of products. Really interesting, isn't it, Peter, what Eki said there, that it, it's just adding touch points. And, and maybe at times we spoke about this, but how's, is the bigger picture missed that it's actually not recreating a restaurant, it's having something that you remember and you love. So you're taking out the bits that you love from that restaurant, the in-person experience, the food, the way it's delivered to your table, but you're eating the food that you love in a different situation at home. And we go back to the Indian takeaway of, we all know if we sit in an Indian restaurant and have a fresh naan bread, how good that tastes. When it's delivered to your house, it's 20, 30 minutes later, it's never as good. So is Eki's point there around additional touch points really key in this whole delivery market? I, I think it's an important point. Yes, absolutely. In two respects. Um, first of all, um, it, it creates a, a, a new channel, or it has created a new channel, um, to be exploited by all sorts of different people. So there are great opportunities there. Uh, and the other point is that um, you can set up this delivery channel at very modest cost. Eki quoted a, an off-the-head number of, of investing a million pounds in a restaurant, which is not unreasonable, but being able to do... Uh, create a restaurant for just a few thousand pounds. If you get that right, then you've got um, a whole new range of opportunities opening up. And that makes yet another reason for doing delivery. Lots of brands opened dark kitchens within the COVID period um, because there was a need for them. There was a real need. And it's interesting how you look at the two models there are now. You have brands that are going more dark kitchen to offer an additional service to their customers. And there's ones that have completely pulled away. They've gone back to their own business. And when we spoke to James Brown from BrewDog, he was saying they have dark kitchens, they've tried it, but they've pulled away. And we sit here, look at Waterloo, and we can see outside for the listeners, you literally sit looking over this huge bar. This is why they've stopped dark kitchens. This place is heaving all the time. So are they right to do that as their business model? Well, they obviously um, say they are, and who who am I to, to disagree? But you can absolutely see if your model is built on actually dealing with people on a day-to-day basis and in person, then delivering, as you, you pointed out a couple of minutes ago, delivering to people at home is a completely different experience. The challenge if you're going to do delivery, is either to marry up those experiences or to make them make the customer realise that they are distinctly different. So you can take um, McDonald's, which, in my view, the experience that you get at home is very, very similar to the experience you get in the store. Whereas for, for some other products, new instance, Deshume, and I agree with you, that experience is quite different because when you go into Dishoom, you really experience all the wonderful feeling of Mumbai when you walk in and you 
probably don't have that at home. Definitely, definitely. You could never recreate that culture they've recreated mm. in any of their sites, can you? And um, if we, we look at someone, and we haven't spoke about these before, but um, let's TGI's. TGI's, uh, everyone knows what they're about in their restaurants. It, it's the American brand, the, the diner. What they've done as well is, and this is into delivery in a way, is they've gone down the retail route. So, yes, you can have a TGI experience in the restaurant, you could have it delivered to your home if you live near a restaurant. But actually, what about people like me that live in the suburb, leafy little village? You can go now to a supermarket and get a TGI, others are available, um, brand food. So I can have a rack of ribs that follows a TGI recipe. Of course, we have to cook them at home. But it's still giving that whole experience of restaurant delivery, that brand yeah, you're waxing lyrical as always, and I would expect that from you as a as an ex um, chef. Um, absolutely, and I'm not downplaying it at all. I can't get away from the fact, though, that when I'm having del- delivered food at home, it's on my kitchen table or on the dining room table. The phone's ringing, all sorts of things happening, and it's not the same as a restaurant. I, I'm just making the point. I'm not saying it's better or it's worse. It's just not the same. And therefore, the customer's relationship with the brand, whether it's TGI Fridays or McDonald's or whoever, the relationship is different depending on where you're consuming the product. And that is then becomes a challenge for the brand to make it holistic in the... Um, uh, in the customer's mind, making it a, 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 a realistic piece to do this, eat this food, both at home uh, and in the restaurant, and dare I say, um, going through a drive through and taking the food there and eating it in your car. Mm. What is the resonance between one experience and another as it relates to the brand? Do we go back then to Eki's point? Well, she said it's giving touch points because I agree with you 100% that there is nothing better personally than eating in a restaurant. The the ambience, the being with friends, the drinks, the whole service piece, the whole experience that we've spoke about. But actually, it's another touch point. Delivery is okay if you can't get to that number one. Well, absolutely. But you can also really enjoy it with your mates in front of the telly. Um, which and it's a different but very pleasurable experience as well. So um, I guess we can talk about this element for forever, and I'm hoping some of our guests over the coming year will um, be addressing that as well. But if I can shift um, a little bit, because one of the things that came out from a couple of our um, interviews was this idea about the role of delivery in the area of social responsibility. Social responsibility has become part of our life nowadays. Some people rail against it, but it's there. And being good citizens um, is very important. I recall Neil Seber making a a very um, interesting point when when we spoke to him in the autumn. I suppose you could uh, speculate, though, that um, a lot of your customers are interested in your support and, and... it's not only Tost. I mean, lots of other yeah, of businesses also supporting all sorts of um, activities. Um, and that uh, will, it, to a degree, influence people actually walking into a, a restaurant, I guess. Yeah. 
Um, so shouldn't it also influence customers who actually buy the product uh, through a delivery platform? Shouldn't, shouldn't there be some mechanism on delivery platforms for telling the world that you support um, greenhouse sports, for example? Yes, I don't, yeah, it's a really interesting question. It's not something I've ever thought about before, but yes, I think I think the reason there isn't is because the platforms are quite narrow in the way that they're built and the way that the menus are built up. Again, another challenge. This is what obviously my favourite word for this um, this particular podcast. A challenge is allowing the aggregator to promote the social responsibility of the operator. If you walk into a restaurant that has got particular responsibility to, to the environment for example that's obvious when you walk in they you know they they make things look green and the um the tables are made out of recycled straws or whatever it is but getting that over on the website when you're placing your order is very difficult if not impossible um it may be that this is something that the aggregators should be thinking about and that's certainly the point that um uh, neil was making but how do you communicate the values that the restaurant has through an aggregator app? It's a challenge. It, definitely a challenge. And is it a piece where Neil said then that you could also look at the uh, food, technical, food safety, the, uh, a bit of history? Do you know what? A bit of history about Tost, for example. If you haven't used Tost before, any other brand is, a little bit of a, a bio about them. But no, there's none of that. So there's huge opportunity for the social responsibility, caring about their staff, caring about their customers, their suppliers, their food miles. Um, yes, and, and of course, if you can get that over effectively, then you are promote, really promoting the brand through the aggregator site. So, you know, going back, one, uh, uh, one of the uh, difficulties of delivery and getting orders through uh, an app is actually connecting the customer and the brand. If the brand values are properly promoted at the aggregator app, then you're um, enhancing the the relationship between the customer and the brand. Definitely. And I think when we spoke to James Brown, he, he said the same thing, but it was around Tipjob, a company he's involved in. Um, the, the fact that it's it's around rewarding the people. We talk about social responsibility, but... The industry as a whole, hospitality is the people in it are massively undervalued. Uh, and whether it's being kind to someone, I think you said, where you say thank you to them, you leave them a tip because good service should be rewarded. There's a, there's a lot of argument about tips, as you would expect, because it's a huge area of of expenditure in in elements of the restaurant sector, um, and not everybody is in favour of tips. Not all operators by any means are in favour of tips. But the way that James Brown um, expressed it made absolute perfect sense to me. And that is, it's a way of making that bond between the server uh, and the customer and the customer and the server. Because at heart, um, restaurants are all about hospitality. And paying a tip is an expression of appreciation. I think where where tipping may go wrong is when it becomes a large expenditure, when it's 20, 25% of the bill, it then becomes a 
purely commercial transaction, but a tip at a nominal or slightly better than nominal level is an important issue and enhances the bond between the server, the waiter, call it what you want, and the customer. Agree totally. And there is that big piece around transaction. We spoke at the time when James came on when it's on the bill and it says discretionary. And if if people want to give a tip, they give a tip because actually the worker, the delivery driver, whoever it may be, should be rewarded. They should be rewarded for the action and the job they're taking out. And it's down to the tippee, the person giving the tip, to actually reward them. But thank you, like you said, goes a long way. My view of tipping is that it's such an integral part of hospitality, whether that's someone delivering service in a restaurant or delivering a pizza to your door, showing appreciation with a sincere thank you and some kind of incentive before it's like incentive that for me is really important. It's very easy to come at this from a consumer perspective, but in reality, as an operator, an owner of a business, it should be really high up your agenda. Tipping can be seen as a as a way of rewarding, absolutely. Um, it's also a, a token of appreciation. Um, so that is the reason why should I reward. What it shouldn't be is a replacement for the fact that the restaurant isn't paying um, the staff enough. 100%. And the tip should go to the employee. Um, and I, I think James said that when he did it. Uh, absolutely. And and tying that back into the delivery space, of course, the only personal interaction between the customer and the and the people providing the food is the rider. So the rider is somebody who gets tipped. For all you out there who tune in regularly for this podcast, without you, we're just a bunch of guys and gals talking to each other in a recording studio. If you're enjoying the show, please consider supporting us by leaving a five-star rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. Your ratings and reviews mean the world to us and help more people discover our content. Plus, it's the best way to show your appreciation for the hard work the Delivery.World team, the Avico team, and our fabulous guests put into each and every episode. So go ahead, hit that five-star button with full instructions in the show notes, and let's continue with this show. We've covered quite a lot uh, in this discussion, John. Why, why should anybody want to do delivery? What are the challenges in, in the branding of the delivery offer? How to relate to the customer? Um, how areas of social responsibility? And the real elephant in the room for, for delivery is profitability. Profitability for the operator, profitability for the delivery company. And we had a very interesting uh, set of insights from uh, our interview with Chris Baggett um, of Cluster Truck in Indianapolis. Oh, is, is that where you went, Peter, for your business trip stroke holiday over in America this year? It was my six-week business trip Um with a little bit of um, uh, leisure on the side, yes, absolutely. Um, but I, I, I put it to very good use. Uh, and um, the, the visit to Indianapolis was a part of it. Uh, I was also in uh, Las Vegas speaking at the Food on Demand conference. 
seeing various ghost kitchen operations in St. Louis and New Orleans. So I really got around and I honestly did a lot of hard work. Uh, and we've spoke about, uh, let, let's listen to the piece shortly from Chris, but we spoke, didn't we, about America a few weeks ago, um, the NRA in Chicago and what America gives. And if we look forward and look at what America is doing, what Chris talks around is the UK is behind America. We, we are behind where they are. They're doing things slightly differently. Yes. Are we behind is a, is a perennial question when it comes to restaurants and food service and, and that whole area. Because America is a very different place in terms of its size, in terms of its business culture, a whole range of different differences between the US and not only the UK, but European countries in general and, and others like Australia. So what happens in America doesn't necessarily immediately translate to what is going to happen here. But some of the motivators, some of the um, processes get transferred here. So you can't ignore America. Um, in some cases, America's behind. I, I remember going to uh, America a few years ago, and I had to explain to a, no, uh, a number of Americans how texting works. So they, they were behind us, I don't know, 20 years ago in that respect. But by and large, we do learn from America. And one thing that Chris made uh, clear to me was the notion that if you're going to be successful in delivery, and I'm scouting back to, to that area, it really helps if you start from scratch and thinking through the processes rather than trying to take something which currently exists uh, and bolting um, developments on top of it. As I say, Chris talked about the, his holistic approach and yet we entrust drivers who we don't pay well with the responsibility of delivering food to the right address in the best possible condition in the shortest possible time. So I say, let's hear it for the restaurant delivery drivers and riders. Chris, what do you think? I agree 100%. I mean, it's, it's you know, this is your front of house. Um, but again, it's, the problem is, it's people are not coming at this holistically. You know, and, and I'm deeply immersed in the, in the idea of holistic management and have been for quite some time. Um, I also have a sustainable farming business and we're big disciples of Alan Savory's and, and, um, and, and, you know, holism, looking at the whole problem. And when we were looking at, at food delivery, you know, we're like, wow, you've got this rapidly growing business. Great. You've got three major constituents, customers, drivers and restaurants, and none of them are happy. Um, as an entrepreneur, you're like, well, boy, if I could make these people happy in this rapidly growing industry, I'd have a pretty good business. Interesting what he says, Peter, about making people happy at uh, all different yeah. levels. Yes, um, I, I think he's using happy in, in the, the financial sense. Um, but, but absolutely, I mean, satisfying everybody's requirements, if you can get that, um, uh, you know, a win-win or win-win-win, if you're talking about three parties, uh, great. And to get there in delivery, one route must be, uh, as Chris has done, is to start from the ground up and, and build it in that way. But when that's not possible, and we talk about profitability, 
how how do you increase profitability? When, when Andrew came on, that was formerly of Boojum over in Ireland, he, he spoke about, didn't he, around there's a disruption by the aggregators. How, how do you increase profitability from a restaurant point of view? The restaurants promising return price parity, and at that point it was fantastic for the customer because they were getting, you know, restaurant price food. Really, you know, they were paying for convenience, but it, w- it was getting brought to them, and it sort of worked until obviously delivery sales take took off, and it really started to impact and cannibalise in store sales. So we had to rethink the whole model. Um, so the relationship, I believe, began began to fracture. You know, the price differential started creeping in. The delivery companies were started batching orders, and it sort of broke that model. Um, and then, as I said, then nobody became happy. So the, the delivery companies are like they're on their path to profitability, and they can do one of two things: they can increase basket size. And I'm sure we'll start talking about these things, or they can increase frequency. It, and is yeah. that all they can do, though? I mean, surely, surely there there are other things in terms of paying attention to um, quality, um, customer service, making sure that they don't have returns, or all of those things. Or are they all just part of the profitability argument? I, I only ask the question because I I don't know the answer, but it it intrigues me. To what extent are these? actual problems or are they just an element of how do we make more profit? Well, you know, we go back to misalignment. The delivery companies are now trying to work out their path to profitability. Andrew made the point that you can increase basket size or you can increase frequency. And I think he'd probably be the first to admit that there are other metrics that you can use to drive your business. So in answer to your question about how do you increase profitability, um, there are many, many routes to it as far as I can see. But the, the crucial one is being absolutely clear about what it is you're going to do to increase um, profitability and then go ahead and absolutely do it. Um, it's easy to get distracted by what the competition are doing, what somebody else has tell you tells you is a good idea, some uh, brilliant thought you had. Um, it, there are many, many routes. Um, and I think consistency has got to be uh, an important element in, in achieving profitability. Being clear about what you're going to do, build it from the ground up, and going very firmly in the direction that you actually want to go. Um, obviously, listening to what the market is telling you. So back to Eki's point, additional touch points, making sure you do what the additional points are well. Um, absolutely. And I think that's probably a, uh, a good point to sort of begin to wrap up. Um, do it well. Make people happy. Well, those are wonderful things, aren't they? Say thank you. <laughs> it comes back to your point. Say thank you. And Peter, I, I don't know about you, but this, this has been fun this year doing this and it's nice to just sit with you and do the review of actually the nice people that we've had to talk about delivery um uh, yeah and there's millions more out there and hopefully we'll have millions more to speak to over the coming years and i'm looking really looking forward to that christmas is coming along uh merry christmas john and to you peter thank you a big thank you to all our guests in the past year um those we've heard from in this episode and all the others And a big thank you to you, our listeners, for your support, encouragement, comments and questions. 
Here's a reminder that whether you're a delivery company, a marketplace app, a technology company, a restaurant owner, an investor, or simply someone who loves to order takeout, the delivery profits is the perfect way to stay informed and ahead of the curve in the world of food delivery. You'll find the delivery profits on Spotify, Apple, Google, or the other places where you normally get your podcasts. And please support the show by leaving a five-star rating. Your ratings and reviews help more people discover our content. There are full instructions in the show notes, so go ahead and hit that five-star button. And there's more at www.thedelivery.world forward slash the delivery profits. Tune in to the next edition of The Delivery Profits for the insights, interviews and analysis that will keep you ahead of the game in this exciting and evolving industry. Peter, before we say bye, I have two thank yous. I'd like to thank personally the team at The Delivery World and the team at Avi Media that are our background team that have done a lot of work behind the scenes. The When we've made a mistake, they can cut that out. Where they've advertised for us, they've got our listeners in. They've made this possible. But also, Peter, thank you to you. You, you are in the industry. You are so well-known and so knowledgeable. So it's been really nice to spend this time with you. So really, thank you on that one. And thank you for your very generous comments. And I think I should also uh, thank Avico for supporting the delivery profits. Because without Avico's support and foresight, we wouldn't have got where we have. So thank you all very, very much. And with that, it's a a best wishes for a successful new year. See you all in 2024. See you all. Bye. Bye.